During the time that Israel was divided, God told a prophet named Elijah that there would be a drought in the land. He directed Elijah to leave the area and live by himself for three years near a ravine where he would have all the water he needed. One day, God told Elijah to go and confront King Ahab and his wife Jezebel about leading the Israelites to worship a false god named Baal. Elijah asked Ahab and all the people of Israel to meet him on the top of a mountain. Ahab brought 450 prophets of Baal with him. Elijah decided to conduct a challenge to prove that he followed the true God. Two bulls were brought to be sacrificed. The prophets of Baal laid down pieces of wood and put the bull on it, but did not set fire to it. Call on the name of your God, Elijah challenged, and I will call on mine. Whichever answers by fire, he is God. From early morning until noon, the prophets asked their god Baal to send fire, but nothing happened. Elijah taunted them, shout louder, perhaps your god is in deep thought or sleeping. So they shouted louder and cut themselves with their swords and spears, but still nothing happened. He quickly built an altar using 12 stones, one to represent each tribe of Israel. Finally, he asked those around him to pour water all over the bull and the wood. There was so much water flowing that it filled the trench around the altar. Then Elijah called out, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. And fire fell from the sky and burned up the bull, the wood, and even the stones and soil. When the people saw this, they fell to their faces and yelled, the Lord, he is God. The prophets of Baal were then arrested and killed in the valley below the mountain. When King Ahab returned home and told his wife Jezebel what happened, she was furious and sent word to Elijah that she was going to have him killed. So Elijah fled to the wilderness. There he met an angel sent by God to take care of him, who gave him food and water. Eventually, God told Elijah that Elisha would take his place as a prophet in Israel. Not long after, Elijah and Elisha were walking along the road and a chariot and horses made of fire appeared out of nowhere and took Elijah up into the sky. So Elisha continued to do God's work, performing miracles, and at one point even raising a young boy from the dead. Elijah stretched out his body over the boy and caused him to sneeze seven times, bringing him back to life. For many years after, God continued to use Elisha and a number of other prophets to perform miracles and warn the Israelites of all that would happen to them if they did not follow God. Despite the prophets' warnings, the next several kings led Israel further and further from God. It was only a matter of time before things had to change. visiting with us this morning we're continuing a series called the story and the story is a 31 week look at almost the entire bible our prayer is that through this series you're going to get a sense of the the one story of god how from the very beginning it was his plan to draw you and to draw me to himself that we would know him we would know his love and his power and his strength and his comfort. 
We would know that in our own lives. And we see this story, this one story from Genesis to Revelation. If you've been following along and doing the reading each week, by the time you're done, after 31 weeks, you will have read 70% of the entire Bible in just 31 weeks. Amazing. And so even if you're behind, catch up. We would love to have you, by the end, be able to look back and say, wow, I have read 70% of the Bible. I have a much deeper understanding of God's story. Well, this morning, we're going to be talking about God's messengers. Last week, as we ended, we saw that the one nation comprising all 12 tribes of Israel was divided into two because of some poor choices made by the kings. And so God divided the kingdom. To the north, remember, we have Israel. And this is where people get lost as they read this portion of the Old Testament. The north is, is Israel. That's the northern kingdom. They have three places of worship. Dan, Bethel, and Samaria. To the south are two tribes. And that is, that is Judah and parts of Simeon. And this is the southern kingdom called Judah. And Judah is the place where Jerusalem is the place of worship. Now, there are prophets that God sends to each of the two, of the two kingdoms. There are prophets who are God's messengers. The Holy Spirit comes upon them for a season. And they proclaim the word of God to the people. They tell the people what God wants them to hear. And so it's through the prophets that the people hear from God. Now one of the problems is that there are false prophets. There are false prophets in the land. There are those who claim to speak on behalf of God, claim to be God's messengers, just as there is today, who are really not God's prophets. They are really not God's messengers. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we are going to look at three of God's messengers to the northern kingdom of Israel. And so this is going to, we're going to look at a period of 208 years. There were nine messengers during this time period. Nine prophets who spoke the word of God to the people. In the same period of time, there were 19 kings, and these kings led the people away from God by and large. And we're going to see that this morning. Then we're going to see what God has to say to the people. Here's the tragedy. Here's the tragedy. Of these nine prophets that spoke the word of God, were God's messengers to the northern kingdom, only one do the people respond to. Only one do the people rise up and obey. And it wasn't even Israel. It was the prophet Jonah who had gone to Assyria and had gone to the capital city, Nineveh, and had spoken the word of God. And in this foreign country, the people responded. Israel would not respond. And I think this is something each of us need to address in our own hearts, in our own lives. The question is, who is going to be king of my life? More often than not, we, as we'll see this morning, we choose ourselves. 
rather than laying ourselves before God's word and saying, God, speak to us. So this morning, for those of you who are here, you received a bulletin. We know that we have a lot of people this morning watching online because of Omicron. And we want to encourage you to uh, download the outline so that you can follow along this morning and you can stay with us through the outline. Each of the three prophets we're going to look at we're going to look at two teaching points from their lives, from their teaching, from the word that God gives to them. We're going to see a second, uh, each one's going to have a question that talks about the relevance of that point to your life today in the year 2022 here in Southern California. You see, the word of God didn't just speak back then. The word of God speaks to us today. And the question is, are we listening? And the question is, are we ready to respond? And so here are, here's the first of the three prophets to the northern kingdom, Israel. The first one is Elijah. And the point that I, one of the, there are many points that we could talk about. Elijah, there's so much to talk about from his life. You saw some of it in the summary that we just watched. But Elijah, one of the things that I see in his life is that God sits on the throne of the universe. He is king of all kings. He reigns supreme over everything, over the entire universe. And so the question simply becomes this, as Tim already challenged us this morning, who do you choose to have sit on the throne of your life? Who sits on the throne of your life? Well, here's the story as you saw it just a moment ago. King Ahaz is the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. He's described as one of the most evil of all the kings of the northern kingdom. So these 19 kings, he is the worst. He is arguably the worst of all the kings. He married a woman named Jezebel. And some of you know that name, even if you're not familiar with the Bible. He married a woman named Jezebel who came from the country of Sidon. And what happens is, she and her country, they worship false gods. They worshiped the Baals. Now the Baals were the gods that they worshipped in Sidon, but they are not the God of Israel. And so she brings her worship of these false gods into Israel, and her, her husband, King Ahaz, he encourages the people to not worship the true one God, but to worship the gods of Baal. Baal worship is what, they, what it was known as. In fact, King Ahaz went into the temple in Samaria of the northern kingdom. He went into that very temple where God was to be worshipped. The Lord, the God of the Bible was to be worshipped. And he replaced it. He replaced the altar with the worship of Baal. Now God, obviously, was going to respond to this. And indeed, he does. Through the prophet Ezekiel, he has Ezekiel come to the 450 prophets of Baal 
and to challenge them. And here was the challenge. Each of us will build an altar and offer the sacrifice of a bull. You to the gods of Baal, me to the true one God. But you cannot, you can put wood on it, but you cannot light it. You cannot light the fire. You have to call upon your God. I will call upon my God, and we will see which God is powerful, which God is great, which God is sovereign, which God is in control, which God is the one who sits on the throne of the universe. The 450 prophets of Baal, they say, okay, let's do this. And they, they, what they did, as you saw in the video, they cut up the, the, their bowl. And they put the, the bowl on, their, on the wood of their sacrifice. And it says, from morning till noon, they cried out, they cried out to their God. And nothing happened. I love this, this passage. It says, in verse 26 of 1 Kings 18, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. Verse 27. This is incredible. I mean, this is, you've got to read this tongue in cheek. Elijah's going to have some fun now. I love Elijah because he's sarcastic like me. I can relate to Elijah. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought. Or he's busy. Or he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder, louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time came for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Why? Because Baal does not exist. And it's almost, you read this almost sarcasm that comes out of the passage. And so now it is Ezekiel's turn. And so we read on and we see here in verses 36 and 37, we read these words. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and you are turning their hearts back again. What a moment. What a moment. You see, what Ezekiel does is he builds the altar. They put the bull that's been killed on the altar, and then he drenches it three times with water. In fact, there was so much water that the wood is saturated. He had put 12 stones around the altar, each one representing a tribe of Israel. There were trenches that had been dug around them. The trenches had filled up with water. And as he cries out to God, the true God responds. Suddenly, the altar 
is consumed by flames. The wood, the, the stones, the sacrifice, the soil is all burned until it's gone. It's gone. It's disappeared. It's been consumed. The water in the in the the what was dug around it in the trenches, the water itself is completely evaporated. The heat of the fire was so intense. It was so great. And I love this response. When all the people, verse 39, saw this, they fell prostrate, they fell to the ground, and they cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Can you imagine seeing something like that? That'd be incredible. I can't imagine how amazing that would be today to see something like that. Now, this is the word of God. And when I read it, I put myself in that situation. And I, and I could picture this incredible confrontation of the 450 prophets of Baal who are then killed by the crowd for being false prophets and the one prophet of God. Friends, here's the question that begs a response. Who is it that is the God of your life? Who is it that sits on the throne of your life? Tim, what a great challenge for us this morning to begin to think about that very question. Who is it that we look to in our life to bring what only God could bring? Friends, I find, as Tim reminded us this morning, there are many gods in our world today. We don't have gods that we call Baal. We don't have statues we don't have those kinds of things, but we have our gods. We have the God of money. We have the God of security. We have the God of relationships. We have the God of success. How do I know when these are becoming a false God for me? I begin to make decisions not in light of what God is calling me to do and be, but in light of how I can get more of whatever it is that I'm worshiping in my life. If it's money, the question isn't, how do I invest in the kingdom of God? But the, the question becomes, how do I get more of what the world says is important? If it's relationships, we sacrifice God's very best because we think that this relationship is what's going to satisfy. Friends, here's what I have seen time and time again. Not one of these false gods of our culture is going to offer what you are looking for. You will be empty until God fills that space in your soul as he intended it when he created you. That is the truth and that is the reality. Do you believe as the people cried that day? Do you believe the Lord is God. The Lord is God. If he is your God, then he should sit on the throne of your heart, on the throne of your life. He should not be competing with money. He should not be competing with relationships. He should not be competing with success. He should not be competing with your security in this world. He is the God who deserves your full submission. He is the king he is the Lord who sits on the throne of the universe.
That's what I see in this story. Here's a second one. And I'm going to go faster and faster because I always go longer than I anticipate. I apologize. Here is a second lesson. God speaks. God speaks. We saw that just a few weeks ago when we saw that Jesus continues in the role of prophet in our lives today. If you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation, the Holy Spirit lives in you. The same Holy Spirit that was in Elijah resides in you and in me through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what does that reality mean for us? God speaks. And the question is, are we listening? Now, what transpires from here is that Elijah is, you can imagine, uh, the king and Jezebel, they were furious with Elijah. And they want to kill him. And they pursue him, and he's running for his life. And after this incredible victory, and, I, and this was incredible, Beth and I got to go to, the, to that same mountain, Mount Carmel, and we got to be in kind of, it might have been the very place this transpired, but that area where this transpired. And I remember standing there and just imagining what had happened and seeing the power of God. And now, from a mountaintop, he goes into the valley. He runs for his life. And he goes into depression. He goes into depression. Listen to what we read in 1 Kings 19. And the word of the Lord came to him while he's hiding. What are you doing here, Elijah? Don't you love that question? Have you ever sensed God saying that to you? What are you doing here? How did you get here? What are you doing here? Why are you running? Why are you hiding? Why are you caught in this circumstance? What are you doing here? Some of you need to hear that today. In some area of your life, you know you're not obeying him. And you're asking yourself, as you hear the Spirit of God, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And then he replies, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, turned down your alt, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He's despondent. You ever been there? I have. You ever been just really discouraged? I have. And it's sometimes when I'm trying to do what I believe God has called me to do, and it is what God's called me to do, but all it brings is heartache and pain into my life as people stand against me. Have you ever been there before? And I remember my girls when each of them stood for Jesus and they came to a place, both of them, where they stood and would not join with their friends and what their friends were doing because they knew it was not God's desire for them. It was not the will of God. And they ended up standing alone. And it brought such discouragement in such heartache, and such pain. Elijah knows what you're going through. And we read the response of God here, which is just beautiful. The Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. 
After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? I sense that the second time he asked that question, it's a much different, Elijah's in a much different place. He is listening to the Lord his God. Friends, if you believe what the Bible teaches, then you believe that God still speaks today. It's not just the Old Testament, it's the New Testament. God still speaks through the Holy Spirit to his people today. And the question is, are we listening? Now the problem is, we only think God's going to speak in these incredibly powerful ways that everybody's going to see. No. It's often the quiet whisper when I'm reading the Bible. It's often the quiet whisper of the Spirit of God when I've taken time alone to be with Him and to pray. And to not just speak in prayer, but to listen. I think what happens to a lot of us when we pray, we, we treat God like He's an answering machine and we just call Him up on our cell phone and we give Him our prayer, we leave that message and we walk away. When God says, no, I want to commune with you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to speak to you. I want to bring comfort where you need comfort. I want to bring encouragement where you need encouragement. I want to bring a word of challenge where you need to be challenged. So that you can be more. So that you can have a greater impact in this world. So that when you come to the end of your life, you know that you have lived the life that God created you to live. Are you listening? Here's a second thing that I want you to see. And this is the story of Elisha. Elisha, another great prophet of God in the northern kingdom. And I love this first point. We're reminded by Elisha that there is a physical and a spiritual reality. Now what do I mean by that? There is that which we see physical I see you, I see the chairs, I see the carpet. And then there's that which is spiritual. Beyond that which I can see with my physical eyes, I can only see through the eyes that God gives to me by opening my eyes and giving me the ability to see. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says this, that there is a spiritual dimension that we do not see. He says our battle, our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against people. Our battle is against the spirit of darkness. Satan and the fallen angels, the demonic influence in this world that is leading it away from God. That's our battle. That's the battle that we have. We don't see spiritual reality unless God gives us eyes to see. And the question is, are our eyes open to spiritual reality? I love what happens here. Elisha is a prophet of God, and God has given him the ability through the Holy Spirit to know exactly what the king of Aram, a foreign power, is doing to try to conquer Israel. So every time the king of Aram has some new military plan, God gives that plan to Elisha. Elisha tells the king, and, and Israel's always, 
one, two, three steps ahead of the king of Aram. He can't figure it out until he discovers it's Elisha. So what does he do? He sends his army, including chariots. Now, chariots are very significant. They're the tanks of World War II. If you had chariots, you had power. You had military strength and military might. King Aram, he has chariots. And so he sends his chariots and his army who surround the city that Elisha is in. And Elisha's servant is petrified. There's no way we can stand against this. Listen to what happens. This is amazing. Friends, this is the word of God. This is reality. Listen to what happens. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those, are, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. The New Testament says it this way. He who is within us is greater than he who is in the world. And Elisha prayed. Listen to the prayer of Elisha. O Lord, open his eyes, the eyes of the servant, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What is that? Those are the angels of the Lord who were prepared to do battle on behalf of Elisha. Now the servant couldn't see them. Because all he could see was the physical reality. But God gave uh, Elisha the ability to see the spiritual reality. Friends, the angels of the Lord are here. And they are at the beck and call in obedience to the Lord our God. Now there are also fallen angels, Satan and fallen angels. Satan is just a fallen angel who opposed the work of God in the world. I remember when our kids were growing up that we had, I don't know if you remember this, Beth, but we had this, this great picture. It was about like this. Can you see that? Saw that? Oh, I am so good at Pictionary. I'm amazing. So here's this picture, and the, here's what the picture is of a father on his knees and he's praying for his child who's laying in bed. There's a window behind that is open. And in the op into the open window, what you can see in the background are the angels of the Lord standing over this home. And I would pray in the power of God's Spirit to minister to my children, to protect my children, not just physically, but spiritually. To do a great and powerful work in the lives of my children. To make an impact in the world for Jesus. See, the Bible says we are in a war. But we think the war is the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. Or we think the war is, is um, Iran or Russia or China. Or we think the war is you fill in the blank. That, per, that neighbor that always is giving me problems. No, 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 no. The Bible says it's not against flesh and blood. It, it's against the powers of darkness that are behind 
these things that are happening in our world. How do we do battle against it? God says in, in Ephesians 6, we battle on our knees in prayer. The battle is, is not physical, the battle is spiritual. And if we can, if we can pray powerfully as a people of God, it will change. It will change the world. Here's a second thing I want you to see. Whoops, I just stepped on my... If I go down, you know why, right? Second, obey the Lord and be blessed. I'm not going to say much about this. This is a great, incredible story, though. Naaman is one of the uh, most powerful. He's a commander, and a, we would say a general in the army of the king of Aram. And they have been victorious in uh, conquering villages in Israel. And they take people prisoner. He takes a servant girl prisoner. Naaman is battling with leprosy. And the servant girl from Israel says, well, there's a man of God in Israel who knows God and can deal with that. And so Naaman comes to God with, this, with money, thinking he's going to buy this healing from God through Elisha. And Elisha, this great powerful man, comes to his home. Elisha won't even go out of his house to meet him, which is very offensive to this man of worldly power. And he says, just tell him, go dunk, dunk himself seven times in the dirty Jordan River, and God will heal him. Well, he's offended, and he's angry. In fact, we, we see that. Damon went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, our God. On the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. And he, then he starts complaining about the Jordan River. Then his men come to him and they say this, listen to this. Some of you need to hear this today. Naaman's, Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? Isn't that great? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. And, the, and as the man of God had told him, his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Here's what I want you to hear. Sometimes God in the Bible calls us to do things that are very different from the way our world and culture sees life. And we think, oh God, that's old. That's not relevant today. We don't need to do that. Our, our world has changed. And the question becomes, God may call you at points to do something that you think doesn't make a lot of sense. And the question becomes, do you trust God at his word? Do you trust him? Will you obey him? Will you obey him when you don't agree? Will you, do, will you obey him when you don't understand? When you, will you obey him when you're the only one and everybody else is moving in a different direction? Will you obey him? When I read the story of Naaman, I'm challenged because I find that I can drift and sometimes when God calls me to do something, like when he called me to come here, my first response was no. I want to stay where I am. I'm comfortable where I am. It didn't make sense to me at first. But the more I prayed about it, the more God revealed his purpose and his design. 
And I was reminded of the story of Naaman. Even when I don't understand, I need to obey. And here's the last thing I want you to see. And it's the story of Hosea. It's the story of Hosea. Sometimes people in the uh, prophets would speak the word of God. Sometimes they would live out the word of God. And this is the story of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet of God that was called, hear this, to marry the town prostitute. What? That was the will of God. Hosea, I want you to marry the town prostitute. And he does. And they have children and his wife is unfaithful. This becomes a picture. This becomes a picture of the unfaithfulness of Israel. The people of God are the bride of God. The people of Christ, the church, we're the bride of Christ. And when we walk away from God, when we love things more than we love God, we're not breaking a rule. We're committing spiritual adultery. We're loving something or someone more than we love God. I remember when I first studied this book some years ago, and I remember this, was, this light bulb went on in, in my heart that changed me. You see, I always saw the commands of God as being like a, a speed limit on the freeway. It's advisory, right? And as long as there's nobody there to catch me, going 80 is going to be okay in a 55-mile-an-hour zone if nobody catches me, right? And so I saw living life my way, not God's way, loving things of the world rather than God as just breaking a rule, breaking a law. But what I realized when I studied and learned the story of Hosea is that I was breaking a relationship. Christ is the bride of the church. And when we don't love him and follow him, when we don't love him first, it's spiritual adultery because he is to be the first love of our lives. Revelation talks about that when God confronts the church. He talks about one of the churches. He says, oh, you're such a great church. You do this, you do that. It's so wonderful, but I have this against you. He said, you have forgotten your first love. You've forgotten me. You're doing all these good things, but you're not loving me. What a challenge. And I'll close with this this morning. But in the midst of that, Hosea keeps receiving his wife back. And it, the word we use for that is he extended grace to his wife. It was in obedience to God because God was showing the people in the same way, if you will come back to me, I will love you. I will love you. It's an amazing, amazing picture. Listen to what he says. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, 
because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. And then he says this, but in the midst of all of that unfaithfulness, God says this to the people. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. Speaking of Israel, I'm going to allure my people. Some of you need to hear that this morning. God, you've walked away from God. You've wandered away from God, and you know that. And you wonder, I don't know that I can ever come home again. And God is saying to you, I'm alluring you to myself. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. Speaking of the people of Israel. God will speak tenderly to you. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. You will sing as you did that first time you knew him. That first time you opened your heart to him. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. Isn't that incredible? You are my loved one. No longer my master. You're more than that, oh God. You are, he says, from the perspective of Israel, you are my husband. And I can go home again and be embraced by him. We read in verse 16, in that day declares the Lord, you will call me husband. You will no longer call me my master. Michelangelo, many of you have heard of him. And Michael, um, if I could find it. Um, oh, well, I'll just remember. Oh, yeah, here it is. Michelangelo, you know, and you've heard of him, the great the Sistine Chapel, that great painting of the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, the statue of David. But at the end of his life, he, he sculpted this. It's a statue, and that actually, the man they're holding, the, the tall one, is supposed to be Nicodemus, but he did it. That's the face of Michelangelo. You see, Michelangelo had lived with a lot of guilt and a lot of been terribly impacted by the sin of his life, and toward the end of his life, he did, this is one of his last pieces. It was supposed to be at his gravesite. And he is in the position of Nicodemus holding the body of Jesus as it's been brought down from the cross. And he did this because he saw in Nicodemus one who was seeking to understand Jesus, pursuing Jesus. But then one who came to understand who Jesus was and embraced and loved Jesus. What happened? What was the time of the Reformation? And he began to understand that salvation is not because we're good enough, but it's because of what God did for us on the cross. And then he offered, he offers us this free gift of salvation by believing in Jesus and that God's grace God's grace is greater than all of our sin. That's the story of Hosea. That's the transformation God can bring to your life. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word.
thank you for these three incredible examples of people like us who just were fellow pilgrims in this world seeking to live a life that was honoring to God. Lord, we want to be your messengers, your ambassadors, as it says in 2 Corinthians, as though, God, you are making your appeal to the world through us. May we be bold. May we be obedient. May we be courageous. And may our lives reflect the beautiful story of the good news of Jesus. Speak to your people, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen.